In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, each of you this morning, welcome. Thank you for all for coming, being present with us. Thank you, Ben, for that devotional and all the uh, effort you put into it. It was a a bit uh, thought-provoking uh, to consider um, our conversation, our, our yeah, our speech, and whether it's personal, whether it's cultural, whether it's I forget all the words that he put to that. But I think it's some of all of the above that influences our conversation. Um, But we're all responsible for our conversation. You know, we can be who we are and relate the way we do because of the family we grew up in. It does happen. Uh, but when we get to the place and realize that there's something in our conversation and something about the way that we speak, the things we communicate that are not um, right, that our gossip or our slander or our whatever else we want to put in there It doesn't matter if our culture accepts it. It doesn't matter if it's a frequent thing with our family. We need to come to grips with it ourselves in our own life and deal with it. After all, we as an individual will be giving account to God individually. We won't be standing with our family to share our account and uh, excuse it away on dad or mom because that's how the environment in our home was. <laughs> you know, just adding a few thoughts to that whole thing. <clears throat> I thought about this. Uh, when I think about conversation, there is a... There is a... Trying to think what the word is. Weakness doesn't quite describe it. I don't know if hurdle is the word or not, but in my own experience, there is a a hurdle that I face. A difficulty in conversation, and that is the uh, the we talk about conversation being cultural, personal. Um, my life is couched in the conservative Anabaptist world, the Amish, the Old Order Mennonites went to school with both 
uh, raised in, in a, I say, old order Mennonite. Uh, not old, old order. But anyway, uh, but in that culture, uh, there, there's a culture of speech that pretty well encompasses that whole group of people, in, as, at least in, in Lancaster, Lebanon, in these counties, these areas. And in that culture, it's, it's uh, in general, it's pretty rare to speak about what's going on in your personal life and to speak about the things of God. Uh, it's, it's, it's rare. And that's a hurdle that I face. Because my, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the life that I was, that's the world I was raised in and grew up in. And it's a hurdle that I, that I have faced. And still do. Um, so that's just a little glimpse into my world. Little, uh, little addition to the uh, thoughts that were shared in the devotional. <clears throat> Going on to the message uh, today, we're again in Book of First John, chapter three. Our text today is verses four through verse ten, and maybe we'll read that for starts here. First John three verse four. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifested, are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. <clears throat> Why don't we uh, stand together and have a word of prayer, <clears throat> if you're able. Heavenly Father, we again come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for all who are present. Thank you for the word that we have before us again today. Thank you for the spirit who is our teacher, helping us, giving us understanding. Father, as we again uh, look into some of the inspirations, some of the clear admonitions that have come from the pen of the Apostle John. 
Lord, inspired by your Spirit, being applicable all the way down through all these ages, Lord, we thank you. Today again, uh, bless us. Bless us with understanding of these scriptures as they uh, apply to our own lives. Father, our own reality in walking with you. Father, bless us in growing in grace today. Bless us, Father, in, in uh, developing a continued earnestness in our hearts to walk worthy of Christ and of the vocation wherewith we have been called to allow the, uh, this uh, scripture to examine our hearts and examine our reality and our walk and, Father, to uh, make uh, the necessary changes, Lord, if there are, if there are some. So, Father, again, bless, bless this assembly, bless this hour, bless each one present, and those who were not, are not here who would have had a desire, we ask a blessing on them as well. And Lord, again, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done in our lives, even as it is done in heaven, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Maybe just a reminder of of uh, the book of First John and the intent that John wrote. Uh, if we go to the back of the book, the last chapter, chapter five, verse thirteen, John says this. He says, "These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God." that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The uh, John's goal in this book is actually to give the believers a solid footing for their assurance. He wants that for the believers. The believers sh- should have that. But in giving a solid footing for the believer in his assurance, he also clearly identifies uh, and pulls away the assurance of the individual who really shouldn't have assurance. Of the individual who is living in sin, but believes he's a Christian, believes he's walking with God. I think you all know that our world is full of those. Uh, our, the Christian church in our world is full of those. Uh, there is the, the uh, Calvinistic doctrine of our day. Uh, they had their own renditions of false doctrines in their day. Uh, probably one of the most devastating in our day has been the Calvinistic beliefs, and they vary. Not every Calvinist is, is, uh, uh, believes uh, the full degree of, uh, of the error uh, of the Calvinistic uh, doctrine, but uh, there are a multitude of people in our world today who are ha- hanging their salvation hat on the Calvinistic beliefs that they once upon a time made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and they are currently maybe not even going to church they are currently practicing sin in their lives, un, unchecked, 
without apology, but believe that they're going to heaven. The Apostle John writes with the intent of just simply pulling all the security out from under that. Because there is no, there should be absolutely no security in that kind of a life. Uh, and, you know, thank the Lord that there is scripture written to address all those various situations that uh, when finally the end comes and individuals do need to give an account for their lives, there is scripture written that will speak into their situation and there'll be no excuse. Um, so that is, uh, that is some of what John is writing. He, he, uh, while he has a desire that the true believer is, is, is solidly secure in his relationship with Christ, he also has an earnest desire to pull out the rug from under the footing of those who are not walking with the Lord in obedience as uh, the gospel calls us to. And just in case someone is confused, he brings clarity on a number of subjects. And today, he brings clarity on the subject of sinful living. And uh, I've titled today's message, The Problem with Sinful Living which he addresses in this text. <clears throat> and as some of the other, uh, as, as shows up in the scriptures on several occasions is this statement, which we find in verse 7, let no man deceive you. Uh, that kind of a statement shows up a few other places in scripture. Um, <clears throat> because, uh, and that's what we like to think about just a little bit uh, here, first of all. Um, unfortunately, well, let's, let's ask this question. What, what, does, what is the definition of the word deceive? So, let no man deceive you. The definition of the word is simply this, to make a person believe as true... Something that is false. That's what it means to deceive. So, um, if I would um, steal something from you and... uh, I went to uh, a church pastor and told him that I stole something and that I'm sorry that I stole it, but I really, uh, I really did need it. And I, is it okay if I don't give it back? And that church pastor said, "Oh yes, yes, yes. You know, uh, your sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. Uh, you do not need to give that back. Uh, you are safe and you are secure." And I go home believing that. And uh, Now, I have just been deceived into believing something as true that is not true. I need to give that back if I want to be right with God. Um, And Zacchaeus even went so far as to say, I give back fourfold. I give back more than I took. Uh, So, 
To believe as true something that is false. To mislead. To beguile. Um, Remember what Eve said when she was questioned about taking of the fruit? She said, the serpent beguiled me. The serpent made me believe as true something that was false. She believed it. She was deceived. She was beguiled. She actually believed she was doing the right thing at that point. But the problem is, she was not doing the right thing, whether she thought so or not. So John is saying here, let no man deceive you. Do not be deceived concerning this matter of sin and how God looks at it. Do not be deceived. Let's uh, let's read a scripture as we think about uh, yeah let's let's read a scripture in First Corinthians six just to continue to branch out a bit First Corinthians six I think the word deceive shows up here too or the idea at least. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse 9. This is Paul writing. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Here it is. This is the word I was looking for. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, which is, well, we know what that is, most of us, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And there we have the word uh, deceived again in the context of sin. Don't allow yourself to be deceived regarding how God views sin. So, obviously, uh, deception on this subject is a high possibility because the scripture uh, addresses it from that perspective a number of times. Um, uh, Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this know... For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. I think I'll just read a little bit further here. But be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
And jumping down to verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Uh, verse 9 is in parentheses, and sometimes I like to read from verse 8 to verse 10. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Um, and again, we have the words in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, uh, with uh, false uh, Teachings about the subject of sin is really what he's saying there. Let no man deceive you. <clears throat> James, in, in James one twenty two, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Uh, so there's a place where we can take comfort in the fact that we've heard the word of God, we read the word of God, but if we're not practicing what we're reading and what we're hearing, we are deceiving ourselves. So, let no man deceive you. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there are, uh, there are many deceptions regarding the subject of sin in our world today uh, and in, our, in the professed realm of Christianity. You know, um, this whole thing of of uh, of uh, homosexuality should never even be on the charts or on the in the books for conversation in the Church of Jesus Christ. And why in the world is it? Why is it? Professing Christians. Having a conversation whether this is right or wrong. Deception. That's why. Nothing short of deception. But that's, I trust, that's not quite where we're at. And that uh, we don't want to sit here and talk about things that don't pertain to us all morning but rather uh, come closer home, perhaps. Uh, So, let no man deceive you. A warning to us uh, to not be deceived uh, concerning the matter of sin and how God God views it. All right. So, the next point we like to consider, uh, we find in verse 8 then, says that he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Like to just put uh, a little bit of thought to that. Uh, John doesn't mince words, doesn't beat around the bush. He just says it the way it is. Um, we'll look at a few other scriptures that share the idea. Romans 6, verse 16 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So the scripture is clear uh, that whoever we're serving, his servant we are, whether, whether we are serving sin or whether, yeah, uh, if we're serving sin, we are we are the servant of sin. And obviously, like John says, uh, the devil is the one who's behind it when it comes to the matter of sin. 
Jesus in, in Jesus in John eight thirty four says, Verily, verily I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, he says here that the devil sinneth from the beginning. And uh, as I was thinking about that, is it safe to say that sin had its beginning with the devil? I think it is. Um, He was the first one to rebel against God and then he positioned himself to deceive Eve and she fell for it. And then... Adam had to make a choice in the matter, and he chose to follow his, to stick with his wife in that camp rather than to be obedient to God. And now we have this whole chain reaction going on that's been going on ever since. So sin has its beginning with the devil. He leverage he leverages his. He leveraged his wicked influence on mankind and leads humans on a path of rebellion against God. He's been doing it for quite a long time. And when we live in the practice of sin, we are serving the devil. Sins of the flesh are numerous. Uh, We have Galatians 5 that speaks of them. We have some of the scriptures that we already read this morning. Uh, And there are others. And I think we'll look at some of them. Um, Maybe we could look at Colossians 3 where it also identifies a number of of sins. Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put on the new man, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So there uh, he he. Uh, mentions a number of sins that we need to mortify, we need to put off, we need to quit doing if we're a believer in Christ. Um, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That kind of follows on the heels of the devotional. Uh, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know, when these, when these kinds of sins are a regular part of our lives and we feel like we're serving God, we have to take a second look. John exhorts us uh, quite 
firmly on that. Uh, if, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that, uh, the matter of sin in the life of the believer uh, toward the end of the message. Uh, wanting, wanting to be realistic and, and wanting us to understand that uh, as Christians, there are times we sin and, and how, how we deal with that. But for now, we want to let that, sh- that sharp edge just cut in our hearts. Uh, concerning sin, um, if we have like uh, like um, the this the King James here uses the word committeth, and I'm back in in First John again. He that committeth, uh, whosoever he that committeth sin is of the devil. Um, the ESV uses the word practices, and that's that's. Uh, it's it's a it's a present continuous word. It's something that is it's it's happening. It's it's repeatedly. It's just it's a pattern. It's something that is going on in your life, um, and we are uh, just clearly warned that if if we find ourselves in our lives with something just repeatedly, it's just there. It's and and especially if we're excusing it. And if we're, we're uh, thinking, well, it's just a struggle I have. We are clearly exhorted, take another look. Take another look. Um, there is a problem. You might not be serving who you think you are. If there is a clear pattern of sin that is re- just, it's just there in your life and you have, uh, you've not, uh, You've not overcome it. You've not found the grace and victory and strength to, to overcome it in your experience. <clears throat> Thank the Lord, we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay in a place where sin is a regular part of our experience. The scripture here uh, in First John 3 verse 8 uh, well, it says what it says in the first part of the verse. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We are not left uh, in that place of hopelessness in sin without a solution. Uh, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we'd like to spend just a little bit of time uh, thinking about that. There's a there's a verse in Hebrews. Say it says this about Jesus: For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. So Jesus, um, in solving this sin problem, as we know, was born of the Virgin Mary, God in the flesh, uh, came and lived among us as a human being, by all appearances, uh, was a human being, was in a, was, had a human body, but uh, uh, the difference from him to us was the fact that he was God in the flesh. He, uh, 
Uh, he was the son of God, lived among us, brought the gospel message, brought the kingdom to, to come, uh, taught it, uh, prepared people to take it on when he's gone, and then in the appointed time was crucified, his blood was shed for the sins of all humanity, and by that he, uh, he defeated the devil and uh, made a way for us to escape from the grips of sin and the devil. Thank God. Made a way for us to escape. Like Hebrews there says, through death he, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So, while we uh, recognize that there's, um, you know, Revelation speaks of more uh, things that are to come and as far as how uh, this matter of this conflict between Christ and his kingdom and the devil and all that, uh, there is more to come. But for the life of the believer, for the person who puts in his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the the reality of the uh, Deliverance from the grips and the power of the devil is 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 here and now, <laughs> not something we wait for. It's here and now. And while there's still uh, while the devil is still a very much of a uh, an active uh, being in in uh, in the world and in the in the uh, in affairs of men and his influence on them. The, the Christian and the person who is who is translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ uh, is free has has the opportunity to be completely free from the devil and his uh, his uh, doings and and uh, because Jesus destroyed his power and gave us the opportunity to be a part of another kingdom as as uh, as it says in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Uh, another scripture that speaks about this is uh, Isaiah 53, about what Jesus has done for us. And you can turn to that one if you wish. Uh, so Isaiah 53, and this was spoken of, uh, this was uh, written and uh, given before it happened. One of the things that uh, makes this book, the Bible, a, a uh, uh, many of the fall- uh, infallible proofs, and, and that is how things were written well ahead of time, years ahead of time, Generations ahead of time, and when they actually came to pass, they came to pass just the way it was described. And Isaiah 53 is one of those. Um, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He was like a root out of dry ground. He was born as a baby, a tender plant, a young. Um, there was no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing... Uh, that unusual about him as a person that people would look at him and say, hey, this is the man, as, as, as his actual appearance. He, he looked like uh, a man just like us. He is despised, verse 3, and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way, and the Lord laid upon him all, upon him the iniquity of us all. You know, that scripture, uh, verse 4, uh, He had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Uh, the people of God in that day, the most of them, not all, but most of them, thought that He was receiving a just um, reward. He was afflicted, He was beaten, He was killed, and they thought, they, they were missing uh, the reality of what God was doing so far that they thought he was receiving what was due him, but he was all the while giving his life for their sins and for our sins. Uh, some of them recognized it and some of them deny it to this day, uh, the Jewish culture. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the, her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. We know that is true. He, he made no defense. And they, uh, he was take, verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he, he was cut off out of the land of the living. And that is true. Thirty years old, young man, uh, cut off. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their sins, their iniquities. <clears throat> so that is, uh, that is somewhat of a dialogue, or, or it, it gives us a little glimpse into it when it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, it was pleasing to God, or it was satisfactory to God to see the Son give his life and suffer and die for the purpose of purchasing this uh, human race, uh, for redeeming them back to himself. And when God saw his son, saw the suffering that was uh, accomplished, um, it was sufficient. He shed his blood and that blood is sufficient for the sins of all humanity and uh, through it, he destroyed the works of the devil. And I'm not remembering that scripture completely. Um, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. It talks about the wisdom of God and how he, he in wisdom. Uh, but it finishes up the verse by saying that so much that if the, if the princes of this world had known what would happen, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They did not have the wisdom, the princes of this world, the powers of darkness, did not have the wisdom to know that when they crucified Jesus, they're actually signing their own death uh, 
sentence in a sense. They actually signed away their own power because it was through his death and resurrection that he uh, broke uh, the devil's power and and uh, and people now had the opportunity to uh, be delivered from his kingdom, from the devil's kingdom and be a part of the kingdom of Christ. If the devil would have realized what was going to happen, scripture says he w- they wouldn't have crucified him. <laughs> Anyhow, okay, so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, we do not have to continue in sin. We do not have to continue uh, being bound uh, and being and practicing sin. I'd like to go on to uh, to verse uh, verse nine here now. Uh, John goes on and says, "Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin." For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And now a, a very general uh, reading of that scripture can, can, uh, can be actually quite unsettling for a believer if uh, I think most believers realize that they're not perfect. They don't always do everything right. They sometimes do things that are not right. They think thoughts that are not pure. They, you know, those are realities that we face. And uh, when we read a, a scripture like that, uh, unless we um, compare it or, or understand what God is saying to us, we can actually get quite uh, uh, we can actually get quite unsettled. How how can I even live for God? How who, who then can you know be saved? Like uh, one of the disciples, I believe, said that. Anyhow, um, so the. Uh, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And that, uh, we, we want to def- uh, give some definition or some understanding to that. Uh, the ESV says it this way, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he is born of God. Um the uh, when it says his seed abides in him, uh, I'd like to uh, like to uh, well, there's let's turn to Ezekiel 36. This is also a fairly familiar scripture to many of you, I think. Ezekiel 36. As we think about what what is that seed that abides in us, in the believer. And again, Ezekiel is a scripture that was written well before it's the time, well before it happened, and it came to pass. So, Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Uh, I think I'll start in verse 26 this time. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Now that's that scripture. Um, wow, it uh, says it in very different words than what we read in First John. 
you actually see a correlation there, don't you? Uh, I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So here God is saying, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I would say that in First John, when he says his seed is in us, I would say that is his spirit that is dwelling in our hearts. And because that spirit is dwelling in our hearts, it will not sit quietly if we live in the practice of sin, if that spirit is dwelling in our hearts. And I believe that's where uh, uh, what John is saying here, that he cannot sin. Uh, if the spirit of God is, in fact, living in a human heart, I believe that person cannot sin willfully, unchecked, unrestrained. Un... If he is, there is real reason to ask, is the Spirit of God actually living in that heart? Uh, I believe so. I believe when the Spirit of God is there, it will not tolerate a, uh, a, uh, an unchecked practice of sin in a life. <clears throat> And we'll uh, talk about it more as we as we go along here a bit. So we looked there at Ezekiel. A, I will put my spirit within you. Uh, Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Uh, let's turn to Romans 8.13 and 14. Just breaking into the context here. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So again, we see the Spirit is dwelling in the heart. And if we through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, if we deal with those sins that want to crop up, want to express themselves in our lives, if we deal with them, we will live. And it's by the Spirit uh, living in our hearts that we deal with those things. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And again, the, the emphasis of the Spirit and uh, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, uh, dealing with our sin by the Spirit of God, with its help working in our hearts. One of the ministries of the Spirit of God is to lead us to a sanctified and holy life. That is one of the ministries that the Spirit of God has as it dwells in us, leading us to a sanctified and a holy life. Now, uh, the Spirit of God does not just, does not overpower us, our will, and just kind of uh, take control, does it? Uh, 
There's a scripture in uh, in First Thessalonians 5.19 that says, Quench not the Spirit. So, while the Spirit of God is in the heart, and He's... He's active and He's alive and He's speaking to you and I as we study the Scriptures, as we meditate, as we think about life like uh, Brother Ben driving home after a meeting and thinking about life and maybe the Spirit of God was there uh, talking to him a little bit about the evening. (laughs) It does that. It does that. That's the Spirit of God working in our hearts. Uh, We sit in a service and the Spirit of God... Quench not the spirit. You know, we can actually, we can quench the spirit. We can, we, the spirit can bring us up, uh, bring something to our hearts, something about our lives, something that uh, the spirit of God who knows all things about us, he can bring something to us and prompt us. You know, here's something that you, you didn't respond correctly. Here's something that, here was a sin in your life or here is a sin in your life. You know, we can actually quench that spirit. We can push it away. We can, we can just refuse to listen to it. We don't want to go there. We try to uh, quiet it. And that can happen. He doesn't just overpower us. He doesn't just force us. He, he leads us. He, he woos us to, to go the right way, but he doesn't force us. And so it's still, uh, it, it requires a response on our part. And then uh, Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, we can grieve the Spirit. And I believe that is similar in that we don't listen to it. We uh, push it away. We don't respond when He's speaking to us. And if we do that, uh, yeah, it, we're not guaranteed to always have the Spirit if we quench Him, if we grieve Him, if we uh, don't listen to Him. We can go down a road where eventually He may not, may not be a reality in our heart anymore because we just simply ignored Him and didn't listen to Him. So, the, uh, the person who has been... I'm going back now to 1 John. Um, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Uh, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in the human heart and is active, I, I, I firmly believe that that person cannot willfully, uh, habitually um, just continue living in sin. Uh, The Spirit of God won't sit quiet is the way I take this scripture. It won't... uh, And if the person is just sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and going on with sin and, and whatever, 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 so it is... uh, you better ask, do I have the Spirit? Did I ever have the Spirit? And if I did, why don't I anymore? Uh, if the Spirit is not grieved and speaking to me about my sin, then we have to ask, did I ever have it? Or, yeah, what happened? 
if we did have it at one point. And then trying to pull things together here a little bit in a conclusion. So we go on to verse 10. Then it says, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Um, so he says here, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. And, and, and what he's using here is simply the, the subject of sin. And if a person is practicing sin in their lives... Uh, in an unchecked, un, he says that's the, that's the, that's where the line is drawn. That person is a is a is a is a uh, a, ch- a child of the devil, and on the other side of the coin, you have those who uh, are living a righteous life. And I think again, we have to remember the context in which these words are given, as far as a righteous life. Uh, it's not speaking about just being accepted with God because you li- you managed to get your life all in a right order outside of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about that. The context that we are talking about, this scripture is talking about, is a context of a personal faith in Christ. And that person, and the proof is in the pudding. If the person is professing a faith in Christ and his life reflects it, you can you, you there there's an assurance that he is a christian if a life does not reflect it there's a continual practice of sin you can be convi- you can be sure that that person is not serving the lord and if he's professing to be he's deceived and uh, that's what he's saying here in these scriptures if in this it's manifest um, so it's a, it's a sharp word regarding sin but you know what I think we'd rather have a sharp word now than a sharp word then, wouldn't we? Uh, thank God for a, a, a scripture like this that does speak with a, with, a, with a cutting edge to the subject. And we're not left to wonder. Uh, if a person is claiming to be a Christian then his life must demonstrate a a victory over sin. Uh, And that he's not practicing sin on a uh, repeated and regular and unchecked basis. Now, just a a few thoughts or a a word or two in in, just recognizing the reality of, of, of struggles and temptations and, and failures that a Christian may face. First uh, uh, Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is come unto man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The scripture gives clear recognition to the subject of temptations, struggles, battles against sin in our lives, failures. Uh, we'll look at that a little bit. Uh, uh, just We're in the book of First John. Go to First John chapter 1. Uh, verse 8 uh, says, uh, uh, beginning in verse 8, reading some uh, verses here, if we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, there he's coming from the other side a bit. 
and uh, warning us that we have to recognize as human beings this potential of sin and this reality of sin is a real one. And if we somehow claim that we're above it, now there's a problem also on that side. Uh, if Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Continuing on, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's the desire. That's the passion that we sin not. That should be what's burning in our hearts. But, he goes on, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, God gives us, He, uh, he also gives us a, a solution or an answer or, or a, a pathway when we do sin as a Christian. And it happens in our lives. When we do sin, there's a pathway, there's a, a place of confession, there's a place of repentance, and there's a, the, and, and getting, uh, getting, uh, getting forgiveness again and, and cleansing of that sin. And so what we're, what, the, what uh, John is talking about here uh, when he draws that hard line and makes that hard defining cut is this matter of uh, un- practicing sin, unchecked repeatedly just day after day, week after week, month after month. Just it's a part of our lives and, and uh, uh, especially it, it, it that opposed to the other side being that of recognizing, you know, as a, as a human being, you find yourself in struggles, you find yourself in battles, you find yourself in temptation, but you are fighting. You are laying hold of, of faith. You are, you are wrestling against that sin. You are striving against it and you are striving to overcome it. Uh, that's the, that's the difference. And, uh, there's, we recognize that the, the Christian life is not, uh, it's not a live happily ever after. It is a battle. Uh, there are wars to fight in our, in our hearts and in our lives. There are battles to overcome with sin. Uh, there are times when uh, a person uh, does uh, miss the mark, trips up, sins, does something he shouldn't have done as a Christian. We recognize it happens. But there's a remedy. There's a way to deal with that and to... Uh, uh, God gives us a solution to that. So, just uh, concluding here, the the problem I believe was that the title, the problem, the problem with sinful living. Uh, it uh, the problem is that uh, the end of it won't be too happy. That's the problem <clears throat> with sinful living. I invite you to kneel with me and uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for each one present here today. Thank you that we could gather uh, undisturbed by governments and those in authority. Thank you that they give us this freedom. Thank you for your presence with us, your spirit that you have promised uh, to be present here in our hearts and lives and in our midst. Uh, 
Thank you. Thank you for the scriptures again. Pray that uh, the things that we've considered this morning could be edifying, could be encouraging, could uh, take us uh, steps further in our journey with you. Uh, Pray that uh, each of us could find uh, the overcoming grace and power against uh, besetting sins as uh, as the Hebrew writer states it over uh, laying aside the besetting sins. Lord, uh, bless us, strengthen us, enable us, and help us to uh, to grow in grace, to grow in uh, in victory, to grow in uh, faith, to as uh, Paul says in First Corinthians that the temptations we are faced are common to man. They're the normal temptations that human beings face and have faced. And Lord, that you make a way uh, for the Christian to have victory. Help us to uh, avail ourselves of that way to recognize the the uh, temptation and the deceitfulness of it when it comes and to be able to take the uh, escape route, Lord. Help us with that. Again, Lord, uh, bless uh, this assembly. Bless each one in our spiritual journey with you. May your uh, grace and spirit continue to work in our hearts and lives to bring about a uh, growth and a, and a perfection in our uh, walk and experience with you. Thank you, Lord. Again, we bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.